Well, welcome to Salem Chapel. We are so glad that you're here with us, whether you're whether you call this place your home or uh, whether you're new with us, we're so great to have you in this auditorium. Those of you who are watching us online, we're so glad that you tuned in today to Salem Chapel uh, online. And hopefully, uh, if you live in this area, we'll have the opportunity to see you face to face. I know we have some that are watching across the country. We're glad that, that you're watching as well. But I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to first. Peter, that's where we're going to be today. I'll mention more on that here in just a minute. I just want to remind ourselves of some things that are true as we get started this morning. First thing I want to remind us of is that the Bible is a relevant book. You believe that? The Bible is a relevant book. And here's why that statement is true, because it's the Word of God. If you're new in your faith or you have yet to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, you need to know that we call the Bible the Word of God, God's Word, because that's what it is. It's been preserved over thousands of years. I mean, we can go in all the apologetics and the proofs for that, but we have a book that is relevant. And it's relevant because it speaks and it gives wisdom and it provides discernment to every event, say with me every, every, every event we face, whatever the time, whatever the culture, whatever circumstance, the Bible is always relevant. And I think it's important for us to remind ourselves of that reality. We say at Salem Chapel, when God's word is open, say it with me, his what is open? His mouth is open. We know that. That's just part of the fabric of what we say here. Your family has some sayings that you may be proud of, you may not be proud of. That's one saying here at Salem Chapel we're proud of, that we believe that's a reality. So the Bible is God's word, but here's what else we need to be reminded of this morning. Our Savior is transcendent. That's a big word that means he is not affected by the circumstances that we encounter. Doesn't mean that he doesn't care, doesn't mean that he doesn't want us to take those burdens and those things to him, but he's transcendent over them. In other words, we may be affected by circumstances, but he is not. He is transcendent. His word is relevant. And that's a significant thing, that we take every event Whatever culture is, whatever culture says, whatever circumstance we experience, and we have a faith and a trust that God's word is relevant, which means it speaks to every situation, every event, whether it's on your news, news, whether it's on your social media feed, whatever. The Bible speaks to those things. And whenever we get to the point as a church to not show how the Bible is relevant, here's the unfortunate consequence. The church becomes irrelevant. And we don't want that to happen. Why do I say all that? Well, unless you live under a rock, you know that this past week that we've encountered, you know, seen violence and the different things that transpired this week in our capital that I know I never would have thought I would have ever seen before, and I'm sure you as well. And not that I encourage you to be scrolling through social media all day long, but I felt compelled just to share a post just transparently of myself. And man, how was I processing those things and being grieved and being saddened and just being in shock and 
anger and all of those emotions and what I had to do and knowing that we were walking through First Peter, I just got up Thursday morning and I was like, Lord, I don't know what to make sense of this. And to be able to just to read and spend time, and I read through all five chapters, and I was blown away about how relevant what is in this letter that we're going to walk through for the next several months, how relevant it was to what I was feeling. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but I want you to, I want you to know that this is how we do it here at Salem Chapel. So every summer, I take time away, and one of the responsibilities that I have and the elders have entrusted to me is to take time with the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want our church to go through in the next ministry year through your word. And so it may seem from time to time, and especially even today, that you're like, well, you chose to walk through First Peter and you made that decision on Thursday morning of this past week. But I want you to know that God in his sovereignty, you know, and I can't take credit for any of that, last summer is when I said, you know what, we need to walk through First Peter in 2021. And so I want you to understand that whatever you're feeling, whatever we've seen in these past days, that the Bible is relevant to help you process those things. Listen to me, I love my country. I think it's the greatest country in the world, and you ought to love your country as well. But whenever we place our hope in fallible fallen people, our expectations will always go unfulfilled. And I didn't need the events of past week to remind me of that, but nevertheless, that's what I reminded myself of, that my hope can only be placed. My, 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 my hope needs to be anchored is a better way to say it, not in fallible people. Listen, it better not be anchored in me. It better not be anchored solely in your spouse. It better not be solely anchored in your parents or whatever. Not that we aren't trusting, not that we live cynical lives, but my ultimate hope is found in the one person who is perfect and holy and just and who has existed before time and will exist after time and who, has, who is always right and is always just and who is all loving and that is our Savior Jesus Christ. That's where my hope is found. And so I just want to encourage you. You know, for me, you know what I needed to do? I said, you know what? I just need to, I haven't even done this yet. But I was thinking about this. Lord, how do I process? You know what? I'm just going to, I just felt, this is a me. This is not, I'm not putting this on you. To just delete every news app that I have on my phone. <laughs> right now, right now. I'm not saying if you don't that there's something wrong with you. I'm, talk, I'm being transparent right now, very transparent. And I'm like, I just need to fast for a little bit because I've gotten too caught up in having too many things coming at me that are vying for the hope that only needs to be placed in Jesus Christ. And that's what I felt like the Lord was saying to me. He may be saying something different to you, but that came out of me saying, Lord, I need to get back I need to take your word because it's relevant and I need to spend time in it and ask the Holy Spirit who's been given to me to help me process the thoughts and the feelings that I have experienced and that I'm still processing and that you are as well. And so before we get into 1 Peter, I just felt like, listen, the Bible's relevant. We need to address what we all saw. It's not a matter of what political party you're affiliated with either. It's about reminding ourselves where our hope needs to be found.
It's a perfect segue into what we've called this series. We've called it different. Because as we're going to see in these first five verses that we're going to be looking at today, that we're called exiles. That Peter, who writes this letter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to uh, the church that's dispersed, who in this letter are primarily Jewish people, and we'll talk about that here in a second, that he calls them exiles. That word exile means sojourner. In other words, it means a sojourner who for a brief period of time, a brief season, is in a foreign country. And listen to me, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I, like I said, I'm thankful for this country. I'm thankful for where God has sovereignly placed me. I love living in North Carolina. I live my whole life in Florida. I got to drive two hours on Friday and to enjoy the snow and then leave it. I love that. Like, I love where God has placed me in this country. I love where God has placed me in this state. I love my house. I love where we live. I love this church. I love you in it. I'm so thankful for the many blessings that God has given me. But listen to me, this is not my heaven. And it's not yours either. And I don't say that to, to, to just poo-poo on every great thing that happens. No, no, no. But this world is not our final home. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, as great as the many things that we experience that are just little affirmations of God's grace and mercy in our life, this isn't our heaven. But we're put here by God to live faithfully in a world that's not our final home. And that's really the aim of Peter as he writes this letter to this church that is suffering, that is struggling, to remind themselves of where their hope needs to be placed. Let me give you some context to 1 Peter so we can kind of understand better why Peter writes what he does. Is Rome, Rome at this time, and really the Roman Empire at this time, was ruled by Nero. How many of you have heard of Nero? Pretty famous emperor. Why? Because he was absolutely maniacal and nuts. Uh, there's a picture of what Nero would have looked like. Now, they, because of technology, they can take statues and, and give us an idea of what he looked at. Um, not the most nice looking man. Looks crazy. But Nero, this individual, was ruling, um, and he began a terrible persecution of Christians in A.D., October, A.D. 64. It was most severe in Rome. Now, Peter's not writing to individuals who are in Rome, but here's how bad the persecution was. Some of you are familiar with, with these events in history. Nero burned Christians alive on stakes to light his gardens. That's how crazy he was. But Peter was concerned that this persecution of Christians was not just only going to take place in Rome, but was going to spread across the Roman Empire. And so when Peter introduces and says, uh, to those who are the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia, he's mentioning the entire Asia minor area that was under Roman rule. And Peter's concerned because the church is going to face persecution. They are facing persecution. And how is he going to speak encouragement? And how is he going to speak hope to a people 
that aren't wondering, are they going to get their stimulus check or not? Another one. But are thinking, are they going to live and die today for their faith? And that's the whole purpose of this letter. He tells them that they need to be different and where their hope is anchored than those who don't know Jesus. They need to be different in how they live versus those that have yet to place their faith and trust in Jesus. He'll talk about in this letter that they need to, why they need to be different because of Jesus Christ. He'll talk about how Christians are to be different and how they view authority that's placed over them, good and evil. He's gonna be ta- he talk about how our marriages need to be different than those who don't know the Lord. How our suffering and how we view it, how we endure it differently than someone that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. And then in chapter five, he closes this letter and talking about how leadership in the church even needs to look different than what society deems great leadership. What an amazing letter to walk through to start 2021. To start out this year and asking ourselves, Lord, I want to I want to live faithfully in 2021 in a world that's not my final home. I want to grow in that. I want to learn in that. I want to be an example to others of how Jesus is changing my life so that they want what I have been graciously given. So would you pray with me as I pray out loud that, that we would have ears that, were, that are open to what the Lord wants us to hear today and the hope that he wants us to be reminded of Maybe you're watching and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me say to you, whether you're in this auditorium or watching us online, you are here today because God wants you to hear this. Lord, we're here today to hear from you. To hear from your word and how your word can show itself relevant to what we're experiencing today. So Lord, we don't need to pray for you to speak. We say that when your word is open, your mouth is open. But Lord, we need, we need to pray that we would, we would listen. And that we would walk out of here with the strength that comes from you to be obedient so that life change can happen. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, he says there, he starts off this letter, look at it again in in, uh, in verse one, let's start in verse one. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect. That word is chosen. The Old Testament, we find that word over and over again to be spoken of, of Israel. And remember, he's writing to primarily Jewish Christians, so they would have been familiar with this word. But really, it's a word that's also used in the New Testament to apply to anyone who's placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And if you have some semblance of a knowledge of theology, you look at that word and you're like, oh, I'm a little scared of that word. Makes me a little nervous. But actually, it's a beautiful word. Remember, he's writing to a group of people that need hope, that need encouragement, that are struggling, they're suffering. And I love that Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, hey, church, I want to remind you that you're chosen by God. That you've been granted his steadfast love. And let me just say as a side note, you don't need to be scared by that word. Listen, there's no way ever on this earth that we are going to completely be able to reconcile God's sovereignty and my free will. 
So let's not allow the reality that I can't reconcile those fully in my fallible mind to rob me of the amazing security that's found in that word today. That if you're struggling today, let me first remind you and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God loves you so much he chose you. I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Absolutely. But God wasn't up there saying, wow, I didn't think Johnny was gonna do that. No, no, no. Man, I'm chosen. And then what else does he say? He says we're exiles. I explained what that meant. Man, we have a brief season in a foreign country. Listen to me. You can live till you're 95, 100, but in light of eternity, that's brief. And so what Peter is doing, he's saying, man, you're in suffering, you're enduring, But what he's doing is he's pointing them to a reality that as long as the days seem, as scary as the days seem, as much as you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, in light of what you have awaiting for you, it is brief. He's giving them hope here. He says the dispersion, he says says, to those who are elect, who are exiles of the dispersion, simply meaning that the Jews had been dispersed. They didn't have a nation They didn't have a homeland. They were dispersed all over the Roman Empire. But notice what he says. I think this is interesting. He says to them, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Three simple words that Peter uses to open up this letter to the church that would have read this letter. Someone would have gotten this letter. They would have read it to the believers that were in that area. Then they would have passed it on and had a carrier take that to the next group of believers in the next area of Asia Minor. And they would have read it. And you can imagine all of them waiting to hear what it says. And Peter starts off by saying, hey, let me remind you, you're chosen by God. You're loved by God. You're a child of his, and it's not by mistake. That will remind you that as hard as this is, man, you have something awaiting you that is far longer and far greater than whatever you're experiencing. Yeah, we're dispersed. Yeah, we long to be together. Yeah, we long to be home. But let me give you some hope that it's according to the foreknowledge of God. You know where that gives you strength? and hope today, you know what that reminds you of and reminds the readers of? That God has a plan for you. That where you are today, in 2021, and the circumstances that you are encountering, encountering, however good, however difficult, that that doesn't take God by surprise. That God knew that those things were going to take place. That God, yes, knew that you were going to be his, yes. But God also knew the events that were gonna transpire in your life. They aren't taking God by surprise. God has a plan for you in the midst of those things. Then he says, in the sanctification of the spirit. In other words, he's given you the Holy Spirit to fulfill his plan. That when I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he gives me the Holy Spirit to live inside of me. As mystical as that sounds, to equip me, to give me the power to do what he's called me to do. And then what does he say? For obedience to Jesus Christ. In other words, obedience is the way that I fulfill his plan. Am I chosen by God? Yes. 
Have I been given the Holy Spirit? Yes. But I still have a responsibility to put into practice what he has given me. And the way that that happens is through my obedience. And then what does he say? And for the sprinkling with his blood. In other words, all this is possible because of what Jesus Christ has done for us through his life, death, and resurrection. That's why we read Jude 24 and 25 every week to remind ourselves, I don't walk out of here in my strength to do what we've talked about from his word, but I do it because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for me. What is Peter doing? Man, he is giving them an infusion of hope. It was a long introduction, wasn't it? (laughs) Here's the title of the message, A Different Hope. A Different Hope. See, when you live with this understanding, look at what Peter says. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, if Peter would have started out his letter that way, put yourself in these people's shoes and what they're encountering, thinking, am I going to be the next to die at the hands of Nero? And Peter starts off, hey, grace and peace be multiplied to you. That would be the most out-of-touch statement that you could possibly make. Like, think about it. If I was to show up at your doorstep and you had lost someone that was near and dear to you, and I just said, hey, guys, where's the party? Grace and peace be multiplied to you. You would have been like, and what is Johnny on? He's definitely out of touch. But the reason why Peter can say that is he first reminds them whose they are. And that the way that grace and peace is multiplied to you is not through circumstances, it's through identity. We have a different hope. Here's the idea that I want you to get today if you're taking notes. Where you find hope directly affects how you live in this world. For some of us, this last week put a glaring spotlight on where we were looking for our ultimate hope. And it's affected greatly how you view this present world. There's been so many times in my life that I've placed my hope in the wrong people and the wrong things. Not even bad things, good things. But those things always leave expectations unfulfilled. And that's why I say, and what you will see today through these verses, that where I find hope will directly affect how I live, how I navigate life in this world. So what I want to do in verses 3 through 5 is I want to give you two unique characteristics of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ that's different than how people who don't know Jesus define hope. Because we know that this is how most people define hope. Hey, um, are you hoping that you'll get a raise this year? Hope so. Hope you uh, think you'll get a, finally get a girlfriend this year? Hope so. Think you'll get engaged after you've been dating for 10 years? Hope so. I mean, we go on and on and on. But that's not what we're looking at here with this idea of hope. See, look at verse three. We're gonna find the first characteristic, unique characteristic of the hope 
the Lord gives us. Peter says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. What does it say? Say it with me. To a what? A living hope. Say it again. To what? A living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here's the first unique characteristic of this hope. Is that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a living hope that preaches to your present reality. It preaches to your present reality. Why do I say that? Because I think it's so interesting that the very first thing that Peter does to encourage these group of Christians who are suffering, who are afraid of persecution is instead of saying, here's what we need to do, guys. If a Roman soldier comes and knocks in your door, take your wife, take your kids, flee to this area. This is where we're all gonna meet up. We already have food. We already have rations set up. This is how we're gonna endure this persecution. Listen to me, if I'm left to my own devices, that's what I'm doing. Coming up with a plan. How are we gonna make it through this? But Peter doesn't do this first thing that he does to encourage these people, followers of Jesus, these saints, as he says, let's praise. Let's praise the Lord for who he is. Let's praise the Lord that he is our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What he says is, is listen, let's preach to our present reality whose we are. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, you have God Almighty as your Father. And that's been made possible through Jesus Christ. And some of us sit here today and we can be thankful for the earthly fathers that God has given us. And praise God for that. And some of us, it's not lost to me, whether you're in this auditorium or you're watching us online, you sit here and when I say the term father, your mind goes to what you didn't have. Whether it was you don't even know your father, whether it's your father did not love you the way that you deserved, that you should have been loved, but I wanna encourage you this morning is that when we look at our heavenly father, he is, and I've said this before, not a reflection of our earthly father, he's the perfection of our earthly father, no matter how good, no matter how bad he was. Why? Because he loved us selflessly. He loved us generously. He loved us sacrificially because he gave us Jesus Christ. So we sit here today if we placed our trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior and we have an identity and we have an inheritance that can never be taken away from us. And the first thing Peter does is he says, let's stop and let's praise. Let's allow our living hope that we have to preach to our present reality by praising. It seems counterintuitive, and I'm sure it did to the audience here. But what you need to understand about Jewish individuals particularly, this is what I thought was interesting in my studies, that Jewish prayers most often opened with the time-honored word blessed. And most Jewish prayers would open in particular like this. Blessed be God. 
exactly the way that Peter does. Remember, his audience is what? It's a Jewish audience. In fact, there was an ancient Hebrew prayer. I'll probably pronounce this wrong, so forgive me. And this ancient Hebrew prayer was called this, Shemoneh Ezrei, which means the 18 blessings. And the 18 blessings were recited three times each day in the synagogue. So it been normal for Jewish people. And each one ended with the refrain, Blessed be thou, O Lord. So 54 times a day from the house of God was this prayer, Blessed be God. Blessed be thou, O Lord. So when Peter tells them that the first thing that we need to do, the first thing that you need to do, let me draw your attention to the reality. And he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That would have resonated with them. That would have reminded them of the time that they were gathered together and had the opportunity to worship in the synagogue. These prayers that were prayed three times a day. And why did Peter call them to do that? Because they were different. Listen to me, if you're dealing with a crisis at work and you gather together in an all-staff meeting or a boardroom and you're talking about and saying, man, how do we get our last two quarters, they were in the ditch, and how do we, how do we begin to, to get in the black again and recover? You're like, okay, do we, need to, do we need to cut expenses? Do we need to cut staff? Do we need to do more advertising? Like, you come up with all these strategies. Uh, if you're in a place that's, that, that's a secular workplace, and you stand up tomorrow, and you have one of these meetings, like, let's just stop right here. Heard this in church yesterday. Blessed. Be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. At least they would look at you weird. At worst, you're looking for another job. Why? Because this isn't how the average person deals with crises. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, what are we? Starts with a D. We're different. And some of us who have been given the living hope are living as though we have no hope. Why? Because we have forgotten to praise. We have forgotten to bring us back to the reality that we all know so well. But it's a reality that preaches, or it's a hope that preaches to our present reality. See, here's the problem. Here's what I often do. I allow my present reality to preach a lie about my living hope rather than allowing my living hope to preach a truth to my present reality. And you know what praise does? Praise allows our ears to be open to what our living hope is preaching. Listen to me, your living hope and my living hope that's talked about in verse three is always preaching. God's word is always preaching. It's just a matter of are my ears going to be open to listening to what it is saying? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is always speaking. It's just a matter of what am I choosing to listen to? What does Peter say? Remember back to the beginning verses? It's in the sanctification of the Spirit. It's in obedience. 
I have to make the choice. Who am I going to listen to? What is the bigger message that I'm going to listen to? Am I going to listen to a message that's preaching a lie or am I going to listen to a message that's preaching the truth? Listen to me, I've said this before and it's not been said by me, it's been said by many others. You are the preacher that you listen to more than anybody else. I'm not offended by that. (laughs) You didn't need to tell me that. I think it's a success if you remember what I say an hour after I say it. But what is God's word saying? See, when you bless God as your father because of Jesus Christ, when you take time to praise him and allow it to open up your ears, you know what it does? It brings you back home. brings you back to the place that our hearts should have never left because we have a living hope but look at look at the end of that verse three it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead my living hope is rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that's how it's possible is because of what Jesus Christ has done But here's what it means practically. It means the pain and the hurt that I experience in this life because of sin. It gives me hope. It gives me a living hope that even though that sin was committed against me or even though I I committed that sin against someone else, that God can redeem that. That God can take what is evil and work it for good. That God can redeem that. That God can resurrect that to life. Just like Jesus, even though they put him to death on the cross, that the Lord used that to accomplish a purpose that would serve for all of eternity. So the resurrection gives me a living hope that says that even though circumstances are happening in my life that may be painful, that that is not where the story ends. That my resurrected Lord has a purpose. Just like he had a purpose in the moment when things seemed darkest and our Savior was dead, he had a greater purpose. And he has a greater purpose, even though right now you may be living in something and it seems like it's dead. No, no, no. We have a living hope. Why? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's the second characteristic of this living hope. It says in verses 4 and 5 that we've been born again to a living hope, but it just doesn't stop there. It says to an inheritance that's imperishable. You need to underline these three descriptors. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unhealthy fading it's kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time what Peter is saying is you have a living hope you've been born again to that that the Lord has saved you so that you can experience that but you also have an inheritance here's a second characteristic of this unique hope is that you have a lasting hope not just a living hope a lasting hope that transcends your present reality. Oh, we have a living hope that preaches to our present reality that we need to allow our ears to be open to what that living hope is preaching and that happens as we take time to praise. But man, we have a lasting hope that transcends our present reality that says, man, this isn't all there is, praise God. That there is a purpose in what's going on right now. 
that this isn't all the heaven that I will experience, no matter how good or how difficult. What's my inheritance? Well, that word is used often, but what Peter's referring to is my relationship with Jesus Christ in the here and now. Aren't you thankful for that if you have that? I know I am. I don't know where I'd be without it. I don't know how I'd be able to make sense of the world. And let me tell you something, that's not a crutch. It gives me purpose. It gives me significance. It gives me identity. I have the Holy Spirit. This relationship gives me power to do what I can't do on my own. And I have a home awaiting me for all of eternity. That I have a promise that Jesus Christ is coming back one day. And no matter how sinful this place gets, knowing that Jesus Christ will come and he will end sin and he will right all wrongs and he'll wipe away every tear. And then that eternity will just continue to get better and 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 better until you're tired of me saying better. That's my inheritance. And the three words that he uses the significance, he first says it's imperishable, which means it's not able to be destroyed. Can't destroy it. I'll put my hope on a lot of things that were destroyed. Maybe some of you, as you reflect on 2020, you're like, man, I put my hope in things that were destroyed. But not this imperishable. What else does it say? It says it's undefiled, which means not polluted, in particular by sin. I don't need to tell you this morning that sin hurts you. My sin can hurt others. Sin pollutes relationships. Sin pollutes society. Sin pollutes what we say is right and wrong. Sin pollutes but what Peter is saying is is no matter how dark it seems no matter how dark it seems the sin that's being committed against you or you're regretting and you experience shame of the sin that you've committed to someone else no no no. I want to remind you that you have an inheritance that is imperishable it can never be destroyed it's undefiled it's pure it's not tainted by sin and then he says it's unfading which means it's not subject to decay it's never going to wear down it's never going to be broken there's so many things in our world that are subject to this to decay right like your body my body when skiing this past friday with my son, I have been skiing in 25 years. That's a long time. And we're going to Sugar Mountain and we're taking that drive and I'm on the phone with Lori and she has one set of instructions. Don't get hurt. I've said this before, you know. At my age, I feel good. Like my mind thinks I can do the exact same things I could do when I was 20. Sometimes my body doesn't jive with my mind, but I feel like I'm pretty good. I feel like I, I can do most things still. But I'll be honest with you, I've said this before, man, when, I, when, I, when I'm playing on the court, when I get in the car, a good game is no longer how many points, how many rebounds, how many assists, how many steals. It's did we tear anything? Did we spray anything? Did we break anything? Nope. Amazing night. Coming from skiing, all I'm thinking about, I don't want to tear anything, I don't want to break anything. I saw so many people with the little ski patrol going down the hill in a, in a gurney, and I'm thinking, Lord, please, not me. 
You know what? I have a bruised rib this morning. You know why? I fell in the line to get on the lift. <laughs> Nothing amazing that I have to tell you about how that happened. It reminded me, like, the Lord loves to, to, to just whittle away my pride. Like, man, I got a bruised rib. I was on this black diamond going over these moguls. No, no, no. I fell in line to get on the bunny slope lift. <laughs> I say that to just say, man, so many things that we can take pride in decay. But not this inheritance. No, no, no. Not at all. But you know, for me, when I look at these verses, when I was even reading these verses again this week to just minister to my soul, as awesome as it is in the description of the inheritance as being imperishable and undefiled and unfading, you know what that shows me? Peter couldn't describe what your inheritance is and what it will look like in heaven. Why? Because he wasn't there yet. But he could tell you what it wasn't gonna be. And I don't know about you, but I rejoice in what it's not going to be, even though I don't yet know fully what it will be. But the most encouraging part to at least me, maybe those three words are the most encouraging to you, but the most encouraging to me is the next phrase, it's kept in heaven for you, and it's being guarded by God's power. You know what that tells me? There are many times in my life when I am not placing my hope where it needs to be placed, where I'm allowing circumstances to preach lies to my living hope and to cause me to want to believe that my present circumstances prove that the living hope is not what God says it is. And it's in those times, even when I am being faithless in believing what I know to be reality, that God is not letting go of me even though I am loosening my grip on that hope. Why? It goes all the way back to the beginning of, the ver of verse one. Because I'm chosen. Because God's faithful even when I'm faithless. And this living hope and this lasting hope that I've been given by God through Jesus Christ, it's being guarded by him. It's not being guarded by you. It's not being guarded by me. It's not being guarded by the spouse that loves you. It's not being guarded by your parents. No, no, no. It's being guarded by God's power. It can never be taken away. It transcends your present reality. And it says through faith. In other words, as I keep preaching that living hope to my present reality and remind myself that it transcends my circumstances, what begins to happen is my faith in God's power grows more and more. And I can look back at 2020, and though I don't want to live it again, I can look back by God's grace and say, Lord, I'm so thankful for some of the things that I learned in 2020. You removed some things from my life and in the present, I didn't like him. In the present, I was frustrated. I was anger. I had a lot of angst in me. But I look back and I'm like, man, you did that and you took that away. And when I reflect, my faith in you grew. I mean, after all, that's what the Lord wants us to do. What does it say all the way back at the beginning of verse 1? In the sanctification of the Spirit, we so often want to look horizontally for what can only be found vertically in our life. 
And if you're looking for hope in any other place than your relationship with Jesus Christ, you have a dead hope. And I say that out of love, not a living hope. And you can be here today and in this room or online and you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And what the Lord would love for you to do is just call out to him, well, you can be listening to me right now in this room or online and say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. I place my trust in you. And you can begin a relationship with Jesus Christ and begin to realize the living hope and the lasting hope that he has given you that's not earned by the good that you do, but by the perfection that has been accomplished through Jesus Christ on your behalf. Why do I mention all this? What's the, what, what's the so what, so to speak? Because like I said, God ordained that we would walk through 1 Peter in 2021 as we kick off this year. You know, our mission statement as a church is this, that we exist to glorify God by making and mobilizing disciples who represent the gospel to every man, woman, and child. And what we're talking about in these verses and what we talk about every Sunday, but in particular, how do I take what I know theologically and connect it experientially and emotionally and spiritually in my life? You know what that is? That's discipleship. And we're called as a church to make and mobilize disciples. Here's how we define a disciple here at this church. It's this. Someone who abides in Jesus and equips others to do the same. You're going to hear a lot, that a lot this year. And the reason why that definition is the way that it is, because John 15, 5 says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me will bear much fruit. Why? Because without me, you can do nothing. So if the Lord says without abiding in him, we can do nothing, then I would say abiding in him is pretty important. And that word abide means to remain, to grow in him. So what is a disciple? Someone who's abiding in Jesus, but not just on your own. But now you know how to equip others to do the same. If you call this place your home, this isn't the first time you said this, but I wanna let you know what we're gonna be rolling out in 2021. We're gonna be rolling out discipleship tools, tangible, simple tools that we will put into your hands so that you know how to grow in your relationship with the Lord. We have a Bible reading tool. We're using that right now. We use that in the book of Judges. You have the ability to access that if you haven't already on our website, salemchapel.org backslash different. You have a Bible reading tool to help you learn how to read God's word and to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. I have a Bible reading tool. Let me just say this. Your kids in Salem Kids have been going and have learned this tool along with you. We're gonna be rolling out a prayer tool that's gonna equip you on how you have a prayer life with the Lord. That's such a struggle for so many of you. I'm bored, I'm too busy, I don't know what to do. We're rolling out a prayer tool that simply put gives you a way that you can grow in your time and talking with the Lord. We're told to do it, how do you do it? We're gonna equip you to do it so that you can equip others to do it. By the way, your kids are already doing it in Salem Kids. We have a Jesus pattern tool. Because after all, we're disciples of who? Not disciples of Salem Chapel, disciples of Jesus Christ. So therefore, how do we pattern our lives after Jesus? When we look at Jesus' life, how did he live his life? Well, we have a tool to help us align our lives with the way that Jesus lived his life. How do we hear the Lord and how do we obey? Very important thing. 
We don't want to be the foolish man. We want to be the wise man in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. We have a hear and obey tool that we're going to equip you with. We have a grace story tool that's going to help you think about how did you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and be able to tell that story in a way that connects when you hear the pain or you hear the hurt of someone else who is searching. Listen to me. I'm excited about these tools that we are rolling out. Why? Because God has called us not to just have a mission statement on a wall or on a sign outside of the church building, but he's called us to be about this work. And we have spent 2020 being diligent, not because of COVID. We didn't even know that was happening, but because we wanted to be faithful to what God has called us to do. Because if you don't know how to disciple yourself, you're not going to disciple someone else. Aaron has been, Aaron, our executive pastor, who's also oversees our, our, our care ministry, our gospel care ministry, has been leading 20 leaders through a program called Restore, which basically takes God's word to answer this question that you and I always struggle with when we're hurting, when we're experiencing difficulty. How does Jesus make a difference in this? Just to let you know, back in 2019, I needed help. And connecting what I was experiencing with what I knew to be theologically, and I couldn't connect it on my own. Even though I knew all the verses, I went through this to help me. And 20 leaders have been going through it so that we can roll this out to the church in the fall, so that we can have a culture of care in this church that's not just about, well, if you have a porn addiction, or you have an alcohol addiction, or if you have a a drug addiction, then man, you need help. No, 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 no. Heart struggles of any kind. That's discipleship. We also talked about, I shared this with you, TCMI, which is Triad Church Multiplication Initiative, partnering with other churches in the triad to start churches, to train pastors. And starting that this year, we have three families that want to be a part of that from across the triad that are gonna begin that in the next few months that is going to be shared by churches in this triad, in this city that stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when these families are sent out to start churches and they say, who planted you? They say, the church of Winston-Salem. Now I laid all this out in that letter that you got at the end of the year, 2020, right? And shared all the amazing things that God had accomplished. I've said this before, we've seen the most fruit in a ministry year in 2020 during COVID that I had seen in my four years here. And the call was, right, we needed $25,000 to end the year in the black because financially it's been hard on all of us. We had to pull back on a lot of things, cut away a lot of stuff that we wanted to do. But God didn't take God by surprise. We needed $25,000 so that we can go aggressively after these things that I just laid out. Now, some of you haven't paid attention at all this today because you're like, when is Johnny going to tell us that number? Well, your time has finally come. So here's what happened. Remember we said we want every person to 100% participation for every person to pray, Lord, what would you want us to give? Are you ready for this? Here's the number. And it's not a typo. $374,400 came in. I'm not sure clapping is enough, but I don't know what else we could do. And I just want you to know, 
If you're like, man, who was the guy Johnny knew outside the church that, you know, he called in, he called in a mulligan? That was every bit from inside of this place. So 1 Peter 1, verses 1 through 5, that number didn't need to be even 25,000 to change the reality that we have a living hope in Jesus Christ, right? It doesn't change. I don't look to a number, I look to my Savior. Can I encourage you? That sometimes the Lord in his faithfulness, you know what he does? He comes alongside and he says, hey, my word's enough but I wanna give you some extra infusion of what I can do to encourage you and what I've called you to do. I've never had, I've had people give stroke large checks and, and people get behind something. If it's like, we wanna build a building, that happened a few years ago. We wanna renovate a children's space, that happened last year. But to just lay out, hey, this is what God's called us to to make and mobilize disciples. This is what we need, and look at what God did. Can I encourage you with this as well? For you to see what happens when each person obediently, obediently prays, God, what would you want me to give? And when we respond in obedience, what God does. Ephesians 3, 20, 21 says what? Immeasurably more than we can what? Ask or think. Can I encourage you with this as well? The improper response that we could have into 2021 is to say, well, man, we got lots of reserves now, so my gift's not important. Let me think of the ways that I can spend whatever bit that I contributed to the mission of Salem Chapel. No, 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 no. I don't give out of need. I don't give out of surplus. I give because I'm being obedient to the Lord, understanding that what he's entrusted to me is to be used for a greater purpose than myself. Let's not use this as an opportunity to now say, well, what else can I do since, we, since someone else's People have done this. No, no, no. Let it fuel our generosity. Let it fuel our giving because I know this. God gave that money because he knew there were opportunities that we don't even know about that he wants us to go after. So would you stand with me this morning? Because this is a moment that I want us to remember in years to come. You have those from time to time, right? Up to this point, I've never had a conclusion of a message like that. Hope I have them in the future. I don't know. But I want us to read 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5. I know we've gone longer this morning, but that number makes it easier, right? Read with me 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5 of where our hope is found. Man, it's living and it's lasting. Read this with me together out loud. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God, we praise you that you have given us a living hope 
that our lives need to be anchored to, that is imperishable, undefiled, it's kept in heaven for us. You are guarding it through your power. And God, when we walk into 2021 determined to live faithfully, differently, in a world that is not our final home, we love you, Jesus, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's sing to him this morning.